Okay, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We are officially out of Matthew 5. It took a few months, but we're forging ahead. This morning, I'm going to uh, give an overview of the thoughts in Matthew 6. Uh, and we'll start next week, and we'll start going verse by verse, just breaking down the, the phrases and the, the key concepts. But the overarching thoughts are so important that if you don't sort of get the main idea as you're working through the details, you'll miss what he's doing in Matthew 6 entirely. And so I want to just take this morning and deal with the main idea. And then we'll work through the details. So I'm going to give you some, um, just teach a little bit on how this chapter is broken down and give you some study thoughts that you can work through on your own if you so desire. And then I'm going to work through the, what I see as the main idea of Matthew 6. Um, so in this part of the sermon, Jesus is transitioning from uh, dealing with the, the, the details that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had, had skewed and had, had twisted from, from uh, Moses' teaching. They had twisted it to, to satisfy their own selves. He, he moves from, from re, you know, re-explaining those features by Holy Spirit revelation to now he's going to give us seven characteristics of kingdom life. And so, whereas, whereas before he was saying, you've heard it said, but now I say to you, he's giving you the, the, the Holy Spirit explanation of, of things that the Pharisees had taught wrong. Now he's going to give you seven characteristics of kingdom life. And it's, it's similar in the way that he deals with the, uh, the issues in, in, in chapter 5, in that he has to go through these characteristics of kingdom life and explain to them, don't do these things the way you've seen them done. Because he says, the hypocrites have all been doing certain things in a certain manner, but I don't want you to do them that way. I want you to do them in a different way. And so he's got to get to the core, the heart issue that compels and motivates people to live a kingdom lifestyle. Now, here's the thing that we've got to be careful of, and I mentioned this last week, but we've really got to be careful of seeing these seven things and then making our own to-do list or our, you know, our own sort of new commandments and, and thinking of what Jesus is dealing with or explaining here is like a new law. He's not giving us a new law. What he's giving us, giving us is characteristics of a kingdom lifestyle and the heart that's supposed to be behind uh, or, or moving in the person that's living this, this kingdom lifestyle. And so where he says things like, uh, you know, pray in secret. Some people go, well, see, you can never do prayer in public. And that's not the point he's trying to make. And clearly through the New Testament, we see the church gathering to pray. So obviously they didn't think Jesus was saying never pray in public. He was dealing with a completely different issue. And so my point is, let's not make a law out of these things, but let's see what the characteristics are, and let's deal with what he's saying the, com the compelling issue of the heart should be as we live out these kingdom characteristics. Now, I think these seven are super important, and that's why he highlights them. And we, we use a phrase called the fasted lifestyle, and essentially, the fasted lifestyle, if you've ever heard us use that phrase, the fasted lifestyle is uh, the lifestyle that walks out these seven different characteristics. And the two things that Jesus explains in terms of how we're to walk them out, he says it's got to be consistent, and it's got to be secretly. Secretly has a little bit of a nuance on it. Secretly means unto God and not unto men consistently we get that, that's for the long haul. And so, <clears throat> what happens oftentimes with us is we will get a teaching or get a new Bible study and we'll see the two or three points. We go, whoa, man, I'm going to do these. And we do them for about a month, right? And, and then it kind of goes back burner. 
Well, these lifestyle practices, these kingdom characteristics, they are to be lived over the long haul with a, a consistent heart, which is really such a, an incredible value of the kingdom. The life lived over the long haul. That's the point. You've got to live out these values over the long haul because what we're what we prone to do is get a new emphasis. We focus on it for a little while and then we sort of just, the temperature sort of goes back sort of to normal and we just kind of keep living in a mundane way. Well, these are the normative characteristics of a kingdom lifestyle. All right, so let me give you the seven areas. The first one, Jesus uses the term charitable deeds or that's how it's translated in English. I would, I would identify two of the seven out of charitable deeds. Serving and giving. Serving and giving. So verse 1 through 4, it's charitable deeds. We would say serving and giving. The next one is prayer. That's verse 5 to 13. Serving and giving, prayer. The fourth one is forgiving. That's verse 14 and 15. The next one is fasting. 16 through 18. That's specifically about fasting food. I appreciate people that do chocolate fasts and no fried food fasts or whatever. But the biblical fasts are pretty, they're fairly narrow. They, you know, it's generally... A liquid fast or only vegetables or whatever during the day and then eat at night. People are like, I'm going to fast watching television, which I appreciate a time of consecration where you're not watching television, but it's not actually a fast. It's just you're just being consecrated and not watching television. Fasting is generally food. It's, it's specifically food. Uh, simplicity. Or living simply, if you need a, a term to define simplicity, living simply, which is 19 through 21, verse 19 through 21. And then the last one is trust. I, and I would, I use trust, um, you could say faith, but I think trust actually gives it a little bit more detail. And that's 20, verse 25 through 34. 25 through 34 is trust. So it's serving and giving, verse 1 through 4, prayer, Verse 5 through 13, forgiving, verse 14 and 15, fasting, verse 16 and through 18, simplicity, verse 19 through 21, and trust, verse 25 through 34. Now, as I said, Jesus in this, in this part of the sermon is dealing with the model that the people had seen in the way that these kingdom characteristics had been lived out. So whereas in, in chapter 5 he deals with what they've been taught, now he's dealing with how these uh, kingdom areas had been lived out. And here's what he has to do. In this chapter he says in an instructive way, do not ten different times. He tells them, do not... In other words, do not do it the way you've seen it done ten times. So chapter 5 is, you've heard it said, but I say. Chapter 6 is, don't do it the way you've been you know, seeing it done. He says, do not ten times. Actually, the phrase do not shows up thirteen times, but the, the instructive uh, are ten. And, and the, he actually uses one three different times. Anybody that's familiar want to guess at which one he says do not do three different times? Worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Amen. And that's what he caps this, this portion of the sermon with. We'll go through these in detail. We'll deal with them in detail. Now, in each area, each one of these seven... Essentially, this is what he teaches. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't live your spirituality like the hypocrites. So that's point one. Second point is, if you do, if you live like the hypocrites, you will receive the reward they're going to receive, which is nothing. Don't live like hypocrites. 
Secondly, if you do, you'll get the same reward that they're going to get, which is nothing. Thirdly, instead of doing it the way they do, do it unto God. Live your life unto God. And then fourthly, if you live under God, he will reward you richly in the age to come. So those four thoughts, radically, if you, if you just really deal with those four thoughts, and you really allow them to be a compass for your own heart, they will radically shift how you live. Because the core issue becomes, why are you doing what you do? Who are you doing it for? What is the compeller of your own heart? There's a word that this chapter describes. It's, uh, it's not a, a word that you would find in the Bible, but it describes kingdom life. And that word is priestliness. When I think of Matthew 6... I think of the issue of priestliness. And so, to, to get the big idea of Matthew 6, you have to understand this concept of priestliness. Because that's the principle Jesus is driving in to the heart of the hearers in Matthew 6. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at Exodus 19 for a moment. When the Lord calls Israel out of Egypt and after he makes a way for them to come and worship him in the, in the desert at the foot of Sinai, that encounter there, Jeremiah calls it a, a betrothal. Jeremiah identifies that as a wedding betrothal between God and the nation of Israel. Now, in Christ, the Gentiles are, are brought into this betrothal. We have this, this day in front of us called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in Christ, we're able to be partakers of even the promises that God gave to Abraham. And we get the language in Exodus 19 of a... Uh, God describes, he says, I want you to be a precious possession and a... Uh, kingdom of priests. And so we see Peter uses that language, this kingdom of priests language. John uses it in the book of Revelation, the kingdom of priests idea. The kingdom of priests idea is a huge idea. Because here's what it means. Instead of one person relating to God on behalf of everybody else, God says, I want everybody to relate to me individually. Now, we embrace that thought under the new covenant, but that's not a new covenant thought. That's the original offer God made to Israel at the foot of Sinai when he brought them out of Egypt. It was the first plan. In Exodus 19... Verse 6, here it is. The Lord's speaking. He's going to tell this to Moses. Moses tells it to the people. He says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests a, and a holy nation. And he tells Moses, these are the words I want you to speak to the children of Israel. He goes, you're going to be a precious possession to me. God's original intention for Israel was to make them a nation, a kingdom of priests, that was to be a testimony to all the other nations of how God wants to relate with humanity. That was the point. To testify of the way that God desires to interface with people. Verse 8, the people answered. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses took the people's words and brought them back to God. See, Moses is acting as the intermediary. Moses is acting as the priest, representing the people to God and God to the people. And ultimately, that's what priests do. They talk to God and they talk to people. 
And as a kingdom of priests, we talk to God on behalf of ourselves and we talk to people on behalf of God. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. But truly, every relationship you have is supposed to be operated through this lens of priestliness. Because every person in the kingdom, this is a huge point, your first responsibility and your first relationship is with God. It's firstly with God. And therefore, if our first relationship is with God, then every other relationship, we operate in that relationship through the lens of our relationship with God. And this is where it goes. All of our relationships with others are motivated, compelled by our relationship with God. And so I relate to others not on the basis of my relationship with them. I relate to others on the basis of my relationship with God. And so it plays out this way. I don't love somebody else because of them. I love somebody else because God loves me. I don't serve somebody else because they're worthy to be served. I serve somebody else because Jesus Christ died and served me. Does that make sense? This, beloved, is the basis of priestliness. We give, we bless, we serve. All that we do, we do because we have our relationship with God that's compelling our heart to bless, serve, and give to others. But we don't bless and serve and give to others based on the merit of the other. That's a humanistically centered gospel. We give and serve and bless others based on the merit of God and the love of God that compels our hearts. Understand that? So Moses relays these words to the children of Israel and he says, listen guys, God wants us all in. We can all be in. Unthinkable. I mean, Moses has had the burning bush. Moses has been talking to God. Moses has been doing miracles and plagues. And woo, I mean, wait a minute, Moses. Now we're all going to be in? He said he wants all of us in. And the people with one heart and one voice, they say, yes, we all want in. 2.2 million plus. So here's what happens. Moses says, consecrate yourself. God's getting ready to come down. Like God is really going to be here. It says, for three days, get consecrated. Be holy. And then the Lord comes with thunder and lightning and fire until Mount Sinai is completely engulfed in smoke and lightning and thunder. And the whole place is shaking. And trumpet blasts are going off. And who knows who's even playing those trumpets. And the people are hearing this. And Moses walks in. It says, when the trumpet got louder and louder, Moses spoke. Moses was crazy. He walks into that God on the mountain. Well, the Lord then retorts, and the Lord answers audibly, and most people would kind of miss this point, God audibly speaks the Ten Commandments, so the whole nation hears it. They all hear it. And their response, rather than being, rather than uh, uh, continuing to agree with what they'd said, we want to all be a kingdom of priests, their response with one voice is, we cannot do this. God is too intense. Moses, you go talk to God and then come back and talk to us. We'll stay on the outskirts. You stay in. And that's why the psalmist wrote that the Lord showed his ways to Moses and only his acts to the children of Israel because they wouldn't become that kingdom of priests that God invited them to be. They wouldn't come in and know the ways of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. But the children of Israel, they didn't, they they rejected God's offer of, of priesthood. So here's what happens. What we get to see then are 
a couple thousand years of the Lord dealing with this nation that said yes to the betrothal and then had, you know, second thoughts. But the Lord, He doesn't give up. He, he doesn't just act like you didn't say yes. He pursues her, Israel, and over, you know, pursues her and pursues her and pursues her over and over and over until unto us a son is born, a child is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He is the one that's going to redeem Israel from their sins. Jesus is God's answer to the, the, the sin of the nation, but the sin of the earth, but the rejection of the, of the betrothal. And so when Jesus comes, it's the invitation back into priestliness. But what's amazing is Israel again, almost in full, rejects the Lord, and then the Lord swings the door open to the Gentiles. And so now you and I, in Christ, through the blood of Jesus, cleansed, set free, we have not only the offer, but we have the, the, the label, the title. This is, we have the identity of being a kingdom of priests. Now, a kingdom of priests is not something about, you know, we're royalty, we're king's kids, and we can just... Da -da. No, this is so much better than you being able to name and claim Alexis. I promise you. It's so much better than that. I mean, if you get the Lexus, praise God. But this, I promise you, being a king's kid and a priest is not about whether you get a car for, that'll last 15 years. That's not what this is about. A kingdom of priests means now that you have access to the very presence of God, unhindered. You're allowed, not just allowed, welcome and beckoned in and it's not just access to the presence of the Lord like the angels have. It's access to the emotions and the heart of God like a bride has. He uses priests. He, he, he calls us children. He calls himself the bridegroom. He calls us the bride. He uses all these imagery, all these natural imageries to, to put together this package of intimacy that the Lord has called his people to. Now here's the thing. If we don't understand God's invitation and our identity into priesthood, and we don't understand the love of God that's to compel our hearts, what we will end up doing is, though we have the identity of a kingdom of priests, though we have the identity of being called the children of God, the bride of Christ, what we will end up doing is living uh, disconnected from that identity and connected to a different identity. And that different identity, when you don't know the love of Jesus, when you don't know the love of the Father, is an orphan mentality. And here's how it works. When you don't know the Father's love, you don't feel the affection and the affirmation of God the Father. I'm not just saying, yes, he loves me, I know. I'm talking about the integrated, you know, back and forth relational reality with the love of God. Where you are flowing in relationship with God. It was always about relationship. It was never about a list. It was always about a relationship. It wasn't a rule book. It was always about a heart connected with God. If you don't know this point, you will stand off at a distance and you will operate like a spiritual orphan, not recognizing you have a father who loves you, who affirms you, who is for you, and has an amazing inheritance for you. And if you live as an orphan without believing in your inheritance and the affirmations of a father, what you'll tend to do is Live for men's approval now instead of for the reward later. And this, beloved, is the core issue that Jesus is dealing with in Matthew 6. A pharisaical, hypocritical priesthood 
who had lived through generations of stepping away from God rather than stepping in, who had legalized, and for their own purposes, their own lust, the, the teachings of God, and it had taught the people in the same way, and who had lived their life with their reward as being seen by men. And so what Jesus does in Matthew 6 is, he goes, these seven areas, they are essential to kingdom life, they're essential to, to, you know, for all the characteristics of how you live, they're essential for your life, but don't do them the way you've seen them done, because the way you've seen them done is not with the mentality of a kingdom of priests. It's not with the mentality of one that knows they're beloved by God. What you've seen them done with, uh, with the mentality you've seen them done is people who are always trying to get men's approval. Now while I'm studying and looking at this even just this morning, I'm, I'm reminded, I mean, I, it's, it's actually uncanny, but I'm reminded of something that happened with me 20 years ago. And it becomes so vivid, I'm actually, I begin to feel the emotions that I had 20 years ago, and I realize the story is for now. And secondarily, I'll say this, I realize that what I'm about to tell you that I dealt with 20 years ago, in a real way, I've had to continuously deal with this over the last 20 years. And the challenge is, what I'm about to tell you is, the, it's, it's the hypocritical tendencies that Jesus identifies that we're not to live by. So I'm going to be transparent with you. So I'm 20 years old. I am um, radically saved. I remember Carmen had a song, I am just radically saved. And that was me. How many of you listened to Carmen back in the day? You can go ahead and confess. Amen. So uh, I was 20 years old, been saved a couple years, just going on, you know, just on fire for God, just always looking for somebody to preach to, just always starting up conversations with people, always telling people about Jesus. I, I, I got saved at the, at the University of Georgia, and I, <clears throat> I would go out every day with the guys that were campus ministers who this is what they did as their job. I would go out every day on campus and preach the gospel to people. Well, the Lord made it clear to me I was supposed to transfer, and I transferred schools to Georgia State. And I um, was trying to figure out how to get something going. There weren't really any clubs, Christian clubs, that I, that I could connect to, that I, that I had connected to, I should say. And so uh, every day I had to walk past Woodruff Park um, from the MARTA station. And there were, in Woodruff Park, anywhere from 50 to 100 uh, homeless people every single day. And so I had a break in between classes, so... I decided to go out there in Woodruff Park and just start talking to some of the homeless people and just sharing the gospel with people. And so what ended up happening was we got a little uh, ministry, a little outreach to uh, homeless people where um, I would be out there during the week talking to these different um, homeless men. And, and then on Sunday, we would go and pick them up and bring them to church, uh, and, you know, just in our own cars, just bring them in and uh, feed them a meal and and they get to hear the word. And, and so we did this for a matter of months, probably nine months, something like that, maybe a year. And I remember one Sunday night, um, you know, we were, we were reaching, whatever, 10 or 20 homeless people a week. And, and I remember sitting there, and um, I'm sitting there with these homeless guys and listening to the, the pastor preach, and he's preaching on evangelism. And in my heart, as he's preaching... I begin to feel like, I just, it, in my, my own heart to myself, I'm saying, he needs to reference what I've been doing. He needs to talk about the ministry that I'm doing. He needs to identify what I'm doing. He needs to affirm this and, and call everybody to it. And, and my ministry is important. And he needs, to, he needs to identify that. 
And I remember uh, somewhere around that same moment as I'm feeling this feeling, one of the guys, one of the homeless guys with me goes, hey man, he needs to say something about what you've been doing. And the longer he would preach, the more upset I, I was getting. And I'm sitting there with a good Christian smile on my face. And on the inside, I'm completely disgusted in what he's saying. He's preaching the word. He's, he's, he's fine. But I'm so disgusted. I'm disdaining the word. I'm disgusted with him. Because he will not affirm me publicly. Now, he's not thinking anything about whether or not he should or shouldn't affirm me. That's not even the point. He's preaching the word. And finally, finally, in the message, he says something to the effect of, and we're so glad about the, the homeless outreach we've got going and, and what Billy's been doing. And that's it. I get a sentence. And it made me twice as mad. And I'm sitting there, and I'm supposed to, I know, see the tension is on now in my heart because I know I'm supposed to be godly and I know this is not godly but he should be saying stuff about me but man, I shouldn't be worried about what he says about me but man, I'm doing good but he's not saying anything and I'm just in my heart, I'm going back and forth in this tension and, I'm, and it's getting worse and worse and somewhere, somehow, I don't really remember the details now but somewhere along the line probably through 15 different things, the Lord dealt with my heart on that issue. That it's not really about you, it's about me. It's not really about whether or not you're seen, it's about me. And I don't know if you've ever gone through something at that level where it was throwing you off so bad you couldn't receive because you weren't, you weren't uh, being affirmed. But I'm telling you, when I was in my office this morning, I haven't thought about that in 20 years. And that story became so clear in my mind. And I realized that the Lord was wanting me to share it and identify my own hypocritical tendency to live for man's approval. And so what I want to just throw out there is perhaps... You should consider if you have that same tendency. Now as I look back on it, I realize this. One of the key problems that I had as a 20 year old was I had an orphan mentality. I was doing most of what I was doing in ministry for the praise of men and to earn God's love. I was trying to get God to like me because just to be honest, I had been a real hell raiser before I got saved. And when I got saved, it was like, you know, there was a piece of me. It was like, I got to pay that off, you know. There was a piece of me that said, well, I, get, I, get all, I went all for the devil 100%, so I better go all for God. But there was also that piece of me where I've got to perform to get God's approval. And so I'm working. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, everybody's like, isn't that young man? Isn't he a godly young man? Isn't he on fire? Oh, praise God for him. And I'm, when I'm working so hard to be this fired up guy for God so God will uh, love me and so people will approve of me. And over time, as I began to get the message of the love of God, there was a point probably about 10 years ago where I, I just got faced with this issue. How much have I actually done in the kingdom that was compelled by God's love versus compelled by the praise of men. Or compelled to, by trying to earn God's love. And man, when that thing began to rest on me, I began to realize, man, much of my Christian life, much of my Christian doings were based in trying to gain men's approval rather than I know I'm approved of by God. I know he loves me. And now I'm compelled from that place to love others. Beloved, this is the core truth of what it means to be a kingdom of priests to God. We minister to God's heart first. We love God first. 
And from that place, we love others. We love others through the lens of the revelation of God's love for us. And so the questions have to be answered. When you serve, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you forgive, whatever you do in the kingdom, what is the motivator? Is it something you do for God's pleasure? To bless the Lord? Or is it something you do perhaps to be seen? Perhaps to sort of get one up. To look like the spiritual person. To fit the picture of what spirituality is supposed to be. What is the core motivator? And when you understand this, when you understand that the Father loves you, He likes you, He loves you, He's for you, He's not mad at you, He's always affirming you and encouraging you, all of a sudden, when those truths begin to land on your soul, you will live whatever you do in word or deed. You'll do it all for the pleasure and the praise of God. Not for the praise of men. And so then it translates like this. How much, how, not, not, it's not, it's not uh, hey leader, how much do you want me to serve? It's God, how much can I serve to bless you? It's not, hey, how much should I give to sort of X, you know, put the X in the box. It's, Father, I want to bless you when I give. How do I? What, do you, what would you like me to give, Abba? You've got me covered. You're affirming me. You're taking care of me. How much, Lord? Oh, I know 10% is what you, what you require, but, but how much do you want me to give? How much do you want me to serve? So often we live with spiritual orphan mentalities and we live protecting ourselves, living for ourselves, living for right now because we have no belief in the eternal Father who's taking care of us and who is going to reward us richly. So what we do is as an orphan, we get all we can right now because we have no belief that God's going to reward us, that we have an inheritance. Orphans. Think about me, mine, self. Ones that are rightly in revelation of their father's love. There's a confidence. There's an incredible confidence in children who know their dad's got their back. Any of you that have ever worked with children, you see the difference. You see the kid who's starving for affection. And then you see the kid who's he's just calm. His heart settled. The love of God does that to the soul of a human. It settles your soul so you're not clamoring for approval from men. Now some people will say, I don't care about what anybody thinks about me. And the reason why they say it with that rebellious attitude, I don't care what anybody thinks, is because they're so burned in being a spiritual orphan, they're rebelling against the reality of who they are. They're burned as an orphan, so what they gotta say is, instead of, I want somebody to care about me, I don't care. And they go off and they live as the, uh, they're, they're the typification of what an orphan is. I don't care if anybody cares. Oh, really, man? <laughs> Beloved, this is the core issue of living to God. Living your life unto God. And man, when you're living unto God, you, 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 have, you can have fun with this. Because the Father receives great pleasure in His soul of every little thing we do that's an act of love towards Him. In Song of Solomon, he says, any little link of your necklace, because it overwhelms my heart. And those, the necklace represents our attempt to, to be beautiful for him, our attempt to love him. And so, I, man, I, have ga- I play a game with God. If there's, if there's like a little piece of paper on the floor, I look around, nobody's looking. Perfect. Lord, I love you. I know you know I love you. And I'll do, I'll do little games like that. Pick up the piece of paper. Do the little act of service. Take out the garbage to tell the Lord I love him. Because these characteristics of the kingdom 
are for him. They're not for anyone else. And you can love God through service in so many different ways. And I tell you, the Father, it says it, he says it right there. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Every little thing that you do as a token of love for him, he's taking notice. In fact, he's not just jotting it down in a book. There is a book of remembrance for everything you do. Those who fear the Lord, there's a book of remembrance. But it's not that he's just jotting it down. It's actually moving his heart. You move him when you love him through giving your life and abandonment to him. And these seven areas, these seven characteristics that we're going to go through in the next few weeks, I'm telling you, they are the greatest opportunity to love the Father who sees in secret. We do them by grace, And as we engage our hearts with them, he gives us more grace. Everything we do in the kingdom, it's by grace and for grace. He he enables us in grace to do them. And then, the entire time we're doing it with a heart for him, he's receiving pleasure. You're moving the heart of God. His heart is delighted because of the work done for him in secret. It's not making him love you anymore. It's actually communicating your love to him and it's impacting the heart of God. Beloved, this is priestliness. I love to tell our worship leaders and our singers about this because we would, you know, in a broad way, people would say, well, this is a priestly ministry because we're worshiping the Lord. And I appreciate that. But so often our worship leaders and our singers will come off the platform and, and the, it'll be great in the room. We just love the prayer room. We go, oh man, it's so good. God's in there. And they'll come off the platform and they'll go, that was the worst worship set I've ever done. It was horrible. I'll tell you, the most attacked room on this mission base is our debriefing room where our guys come off the platform. The devil's in there going, ksh, ksh, come on off here, worship leader. Because <laughs> I'm about to tell you everything you did didn't count. And so they'll, it'll be beautiful in the room. The presence of the Lord. People will be weeping. The worship leader oftentimes will come off and go, oh, it was horrible. I just, oh, just, oh. And I just look at him. I smile and go, God loved it. He loved it. You didn't do it for your own accolades or, or whether or not you, you could prove yourself to be an accomplished musician. The Father loved it. And it works that way for everything you do. Do you know why you love your spouse? Because God loves you. Not because they're so lovely. I hope you married a lovely spouse. But guess what? Nobody's spouse is always lovely. So if you're loving them based on their loveliness, what happens when their loveliness runs out? There's got to be something greater than their loveliness to compel you to love. We love because he first loved us. That's why I love. Because he loves me. How could you love an enemy? They don't love you. You don't love based on loveliness. You based on his love to you. How could you love the down and out? What can they offer? Nothing. It's not about that. It's not about what men can give you or how they can prop you up or fill your sails full of vapor that'll be gone in a second. You love because he loves. It's priestly. It's priestly, beloved. It's all we do in the kingdom. We, we, we live lives of excellence because we're ministering to the heart of God. We live lives of prayer because we're ministering to the heart of God. We live lives of service because we're ministering to the heart of God. We give liberally because we're ministering to the heart of God. There's a story of this this old Catholic cardinal. Thomas Dubay tells a story in in his book, Happy Are You Poor? Uh, Bellamy, I believe, is his name. And, and this priest was known for his ministry to the poor. 
his serving and giving to those that were down and out. And, and w- there were several things that were really, really outstanding about this priest. Number one, whenever uh, somebody who was uh, homeless or whatever would come to him, he would always welcome them into his office. And when he brought them in, he always set them in the chairs that other cardinals and nobles sat in. And he would always greet them by taking off his, his hat and, and, and greet them in a traditional way that the nobles and the other cardinals would be greeted. He would always greet the homeless in that same way. And this man was known for giving continuously. He even took down all the tapestries and the curtains in his, in his office and his, his area there. And, and he had them made into clothes. And he clothed the homeless with the curtains and the tapestries off his walls. And he got a reputation for giving. And so many people would come and tell tall tales and just make stories up. Because they knew he was so tender hearted. And he was probably taken advantage of thousands of times. And his answer when they asked him, they said, why? Why are you so giving when you know you're getting taken advantage of. He goes, I would rather give a hundred times to people that are telling a story and, you know, with the outside chance that one of them's legitimate than miss the one legitimate one because I close my heart to the hundred. He wasn't doing that for men's praise, beloved, because he was so looked down upon by all the other cardinals and Nobles, he was doing it because of Jesus. In love with Jesus. It's what they said to Mother Teresa. So how can you sit there and tend the open wounds, the open sores, rotten, smelling flesh of a leper? How can you sit there and dress the wounds and tend to those people? And she just says, if, if it was Jesus, I would do it for him. Beloved, this is priestliness. You're a kingdom of priests. Everything we do, we minister to God's heart. All of our interactions with one another are a ministry to His heart. We don't do it for them. We do it for Him. We touch Him for us and touch others for Him. And it gets so boggled up and backwards when we touch others and serve and give for them and their approval. It's so backwards. Jesus calls it hypocrisy. He goes, don't do what the hypocrites do. They love the praise of men and the best seats in the synagogue. Don't do what they do. He goes, but when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Father who sees in secret, He's going to reward you. He's going to reward you openly. I used to think that the open reward was when the pastor would come and say, Oh, look at what Billy did. God bless him. He's such an anointed young man. Beloved, that's not the open reward. That's the praise of men. The open reward is when the King of Kings, at the great review, brings you forward, he looks you in the eye and he goes, Billy, do you know how you've moved me? All these years you served me for me. You loved me for me. The amount you did it to the least of these, you did it to me and I know it. I saw your heart. I saw your love in secret. Son, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the reward of the Lord. We serve him for him. Not for any man's praise. Don't sell yourself short. Don't live for some person who's dust's approval. They will stand at the same review that you will. The word of affirmation will offer you nothing in that day. Live for the praise of the one who made everything. This is priestliness, beloved. Matthew 6, it's all about priestliness. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. It's as simple as this. 
if you recognize the tendencies in your own heart to serve, give, love, bless for men's approval, if you recognize tendencies in your own heart to think like an orphan, to live for the now instead of for the inheritance that the good father has for you, I just want to pray for you. Just step out from where you are. Come down front. Let's just ask the Lord to displace the orphan mentality, to displace the performance mentality, to draw us into priestliness, to live lives for His pleasure and His pleasure alone. It's that simple. To recognize it and ask God to reorder, reformat the way we live. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit of God. I want to live for your delight, for your pleasure. I want to love you in all I do, love you in all I say. It's not for any man. It's for you. It's for you. My life is an offering for you. Abba, I know you love us. I know you love me. I pray for the affirmations of a father. The father's affirmation on our soul. We wouldn't live for men's approval. For something we can gain in this age. We would live for the the pleasures of God. To please you. To love you, Father. Even through the cup of cold water. Even through the, the smallest little gift. Come, Holy Spirit of God, affirm us. The Father's love. Affirm us. We want to be secure. Sons and daughters, priests unto God. I just want to invite a few believers just to come and help me pray. Just to minister to a few people. Just ask the Lord to touch their hearts. Impart revelation of the Father's love.